Hey guys, how's it going? Today's episode is with Jackie Beale, who is a photographer based out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, which is my home, our home. On today's episode, we get into overcoming injuries, growing up as an athlete, transitioning into creative. Um, It's a lot. I feel like this episode is kind of just different because neither of us are wellness professionals. It's just a a huge passion of ours. Um, So we just kind of talk about the industry, some flaws, some great stuff. Things that we like, things that we don't like. I mean, it's definitely a long episode, but we cover a lot of ground and I think you guys will enjoy it. So um, as I always say, I'm going to stop talking now and we're going to get to the episode and I'll see you guys next time. Just before we get into the episode, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors over at Schmitz Naturals. Schmitz is a natural personal care brand that was designed to make clean products accessible to everyone. Made without any harmful chemicals or preservatives, Schmitz has a number of different products ranging from oral care to body care. To learn more, visit them on Instagram at Schmitz Naturals. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for being with me here today. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, Okay, so why don't we just start off with who are you and what do you do? My name is Jackie and I am a photographer creative producer um, from Toronto. I focus mostly on sport, lifestyle, uh, a little bit dabble in fashion and sort of the storytelling aspect of all of that. Nice. Um, Okay, so when you were growing up, you were a bit of an athlete, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I. it's funny, like the irony of me being in the arts now just didn't is not something that was ever on my radar. I spent most of my childhood and adolescence not being very good at academics. So I put a lot of my energy into athletics because that's what I was good at. And it was sort of an outlet for my energy at the time. Um, So really anything from like, soccer to basketball to rowing in high school to athletic pursuits into my early 20s sports was always this place for me to excel in and that's why I put so much effort and energy into it yeah well it's like how many sports did you play in high school I would say basketball was probably my number one Mm -hmm. um and basketball sort of runs through the winter and then I ended up taking up rowing which was something that my high school offered at the time and it's a super interesting unconventional beautifully graceful but also gritty sport and not so common too. not so common and a lot of people don't know about it and there's a lot of history that comes with you know like being a rower and there's a lot of stigmas that come with being a rower as in like you know like where you're from like it's a it's an expensive sport to do so a lot of people don't know how to break into it but our team was kind of like we were kind of like the bootleg team we like (laughs) never really had everything together like we were borrowing boats um but it the camaraderie that comes with being with 
five people or four people in a boat that at any moment could just flip upside down in the middle of the lake at sunrise was like something I'll never forget. Lake Ontario also. Lake Ontario. Yeah. Good Lake, old Lake Ontario. <laughs> I was like, when you first told me, I was like, what water did you even do this in? But I forget that we have a lake. Lake Ontario to the point where we would start at Hanlon's Point and go around the bend and there would be like ships coming yeah. in and then there's like our little boat and it's scary, man. And like the lake itself is scary because people, like if you get water in your ears or in your nose like you kind of have to deal with it like you can't just go home you have to like actually go and get it removed I've from only your had a problem with boat like I used to love being on the water and then this past summer when I was in Italy I just had like experience after experience I was like get me off this fucking boat like I'm so terrified of I don't know why like it just like I got a fear out of nowhere yeah so doing it every morning I'd probably not for me well I grew up like my family grew up sailing and being on boats my whole life and I get really boat sick like I have a really hard time on boats but I kind of just was thrown into it so I just dealt with it so there's a lot of irony with me being like a rower in high school but we did it yeah and so how did you Like in grade 12, what did you decide that you were going to do when you were older? Like, where did you go to school? How did you transition out of that? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really know. Like I was always the kid who had potential, but never really, (laughs) (laughs) but like, like that's how it was framed to my family. Like I never really knew exactly what, like where to channel my energy, but I knew that eventually I would figure it out. So you know, as everyone does. Yeah. As everyone does. So all you people out there, you'll figure it out. Um, and yeah, and I applied, I I sort of got interested in photography, like somewhere along the way. And a lot of it had to do with rowing. Like I would, we would go to these meets and I would shoot the process, whether it was like weight cutting or, you know, just like the camaraderie within our team. And I just decided to apply to OCAD just to see. And I remember, like, I'll never forget the moment that I got the email that I got into OCAD. And I was just, like, I was I was awestruck because I didn't expect it. Um, and from there, I kind of just, you know, I did it. And I, I either wanted to go to, like, a school to play basketball and try and pursue that. Or I wanted to try to be a photographer. So I went to OCAD. And I basically failed out of my first year. Really? Um, I didn't know how to draw or do anything oh, right. that they you needed kind us of to like, do. Year one is kind of like a bit of everything. Yeah. So I switched over to environmental design, which was sort of aligned with like, you know, my mom's a landscape architect. And I was like, okay, I'll just do that. Um, I did four really grueling years of school. I didn't particularly enjoy most of it. It was a real challenge for me. It was the first time I had worked hard in my life at anything. <laughs> like, honestly, because... Yeah. When I was in high school, I kind of just coasted and I had, I had other outlets for like, I had other things to focus on. And when you're, when you switch to university, it's like, especially a school like OCAD, there's no extracurriculars. There's nothing else to do. So I really invested all of my energy into school. And I mean, that was the beginning of my, my body not being able to keep up to my mind, like me being overly ambitious, being a perfectionist, pushing past what my body's limitations were. And only then did I start to realize that like I was really struggling to 
to keep up. Like I was getting the work done, but then when it was done, I would get home and I I would not be okay. Yeah. I would just crash. Did you, <laughs> how was it stop? Like, how was it like stopping to play sports? So like drastically, or like, did you continue some sort of No, like- it was really hard. It was really hard. And I like, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. It was, I didn't, I didn't realize that that was the thing that was missing in my life. Um, and I'm the kind of person that like, when I do something, I do it wholeheartedly and intensely Mm -hmm. and I just redirected all of that effort into something like school which was so foreign to me um and I had a lot of like insecurities and apprehensions because it was so new like I wasn't used to being a student like that um so I just yeah it was it was really hard and you know like my body changed and I was never like a super lean athlete in high school just because, you know, like sport like rowing, it's like we we had to be on weight, but we also had to be strong. So I was strong and my body just like wasn't conditioned to sit in a chair all day and to not sleep like at all for years to not go to sleep. Um, It was really hard. It was really hard. Yes. And I didn't realize until after how hard it was. It's also crazy how people don't realize how important sleep is. And so many creatives just like don't sleep. Oh, the because culture. they're working until like 3 a.m. sometimes. And then oh, maybe my- they'll go to bed and wake up at eight or nine the next day. Yeah, I have a, I have a really tough time with hustle culture and the commodity, like commoditizing busy. I worked in an agency for three months and it was interesting to me the way that people like segmented their time Mm -hmm. it was kind of like the work was done but the concept of like staying and the implications that you were continuing to work harder and harder it was almost this like facade like you could have just gone home to me like efficiency in the workplace is what I would desire from any employee. Like get in, get your work done and get out. The idea that you're just hanging around to like make it look like you need to- Be there and do something. Yeah, that you're just hustling and really burning yourself out. Like there's a reason why our generation is chronically tired because we've spent the last few years feeling like we always need to be so busy. We need the perception of being busy. Yeah, Even if we we have nothing to do. We take ride and being busy um which for me is normal like I'm a Capricorn so I mean that's not weird to me like I like being busy but then seeing that it's kind of like an overall consensus of like everyone always wanting to be busy I'm like okay this may just be like a millennial thing that we can't get over yeah and I think it's I think it's being competitive in nature and seeing what our peers are doing And if we're just relaxing and we see our peers like on Instagram or on Twitter or whatever it may be hustling, we feel guilty for taking the time for ourselves. And, you know, it's like vacation. You talk to people who work for themselves who go on vacation. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm working. I'm going on a trip, but like I'm working still like a little bit, you know, just like a little bit in the morning. And I'm like, the greatest marker of success is vacation like affording a vacation both time and money like being able to go and 
be on vacation. Maybe it's just like the 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 industry then, because I feel I may be wrong, but an accountant or like a lawyer maybe would enjoy their vacations a bit totally. more. Totally. And and also like I think we're so driven by what everybody else is doing that we can't even allow ourselves to enjoy our vacation because as soon as you're thrown off by excuse me, somebody doing more than you while you're just relaxing, like we feel like we have to level up. And I've learned if there's anything that I've learned in the last few years, it's that what I'm doing has absolutely nothing to do with what somebody else is doing. Yeah, it's true. And And also Instagram is a bad indication of what, like people are only showing you, I don't even know. They're showing you what they want you to perceive them as. I've done it. We've all done it. You know, like we've all, the smoke and mirrors of Instagram is really hard to navigate. I, you know, I could sit there and flip through photos that I took six months ago, make it seem like I was working, but really I'm just like, watching something on the TV and want to make it seem like I'm not, you know, there's this like incessant desire to like keep putting out content and to keep making it seem like we're progressing forward when really like, it's okay to, it's okay to not. Yeah. We have a life to live here. Yeah. So I feel like you've like being an athlete, you had to overcome a few injuries. Um, So what exactly happened and how did you heal from that or continuous healing that's happening we're always healing (laughs) why don't we first define the term healing no but um what is wellness yeah um I think like so as soon as I graduated school and kind of got my life back a little bit I always found it was interesting that people in their 20s stop having hobbies I feel like especially our generation we stop doing things like we work And then we play a little bit and then we go to sleep and we start again. And I had this desire to like learn something new, like both physically and mentally. So I started doing Muay Thai when I was in, which is Thai kickboxing, um, when I was in university. And then I, I sort of just let it go. And, you know, as I entered the workforce, I realized that my days became more structured And I had time, like this was before I was freelance and I had time after work to go do something and I wanted to really like challenge myself. So I started doing Muay Thai and I kind of just like the nature of my personality became genuinely addicted to it. And I would spend over four or five years, like I would spend five to six hours a night in the gym. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it was a lot. And I... The rituals around this sport were not healthy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was seeing my body change and I was I was welcoming of the way that I looked and I wasn't eating right. I wasn't eating enough and I wasn't hydrating enough and I wasn't taking care of myself. And, you know, part of it has to do with the culture of Muay Thai and being that type of athlete where it's like, inevitably you're going to get hurt. You're going to get kicked. You're going to stub your toe. You're going to, you're going to get hit in the head. You're going to get winded. And that culture is like, well, there's two minutes left in the round. So I guess you might as well keep going. And it was this 
really unhealthy attitude towards my body and taking care of myself. I think it's also like beyond, like they say that it's more of like a disciplined sport, but I think it's beyond discipline. And yeah. it's like not caring for yourself. Yeah. And, and it's also the peer pressure of wanting to be as good as everybody else and be tough. Like this connotation with martial arts and, you know, like combat sports in general is we, th- from the outside, we think toughness from the inside. It's not really about toughness. It's more about like self-preservation and taking, yeah, like that's what it is from the other side, but coming from our culture and not fully understanding the depths of why these martial arts exist, we think it's about combat and about toughness and about pushing through whatever your issues are, but really it's not about that. Um, And I just had like injury after injury, whether it's like cracked ribs, whether it's broken toes, getting hit in the head, seeing stars, and just, yeah, which is a real thing. I'm sorry. No, I'm telling you, man, like, seeing stars, it's, like, you see it in the cartoons where, like, somebody gets hit, and they kind of, like, spin around a bit, and they see these, like, floating things above their head. Like, that is a real sensation, and it is terrifying. You think that you've just lost your life, and then all of a sudden, it goes away, and you just keep going. Yeah. So, it was just a cycle of injury after injury. And I remember there were some days where I, I couldn't get on the streetcar to go home. And I would, I would walk from the bus stop. At that time, I was living at my parents' house. I would walk from the bus stop to my house. And it would take me, like, 15 minutes. Like, I couldn't, like, my, I was so injured. And I would just keep going back And you never day. let and your I body heal Never or let it heal. Never let it heal. Never stopped. Um... And that was kind of the beginning of getting head injuries. And I mean, the number one thing about concussions is giving yourself time to rest. And second impact syndrome is real. And I would get hit really, really hard. And then I would get hit really, really hard again. And then I would get hit really hard again. And I felt a lot going on. Like, I, I, you're, you just become oblivious to it. And no one, I wasn't open with my friends and my family with what I was feeling. So it just became this cycle of a really detrimental, like, activity to my brain. And your coaches didn't say anything. No, no, it's not, it's not like that. (laughs) If you're wearing your mouth guard and you're wearing your headgear and you get injured, like, the coaches can only say what they know. Like, they don't know what's going on in my mind. And if I don't want to admit defeat, then they're not going to say anything because they don't know how it impacted me. Yeah. So I think, like, you know, being born premature. I was born three months early. Mm-hmm. So it's very small. Small. And, yeah, very small. <laughs> and it was sort of a miracle that everything was fine and that all through my childhood I didn't have any issues And it really became apparent to me after I started damaging my brain, like what some of these issues were. Um, Like hypersensitivity is a really big one. Sensitivity to light, sound, movement. Um, And yeah, like it, these injuries kind of just brought all of that to the forefront and it started impacting my life from that point onwards. And I was so... I was so sick that I didn't realize how sick I was. And only now, like six years later, do I remember some of 
the symptoms and how I was feeling and how it's not anyone's fault around mm -hmm. me because they just didn't know. You don't know. They didn't know. Um, so yeah, that brings me to now. <laughs> Hey guys, we're just going to take a quick break from that episode to touch on a topic that is super important to me, and that's natural deodorant. Our partners over at Schmidt's Natural have just launched a new range of natural deodorants across Canada, making it super accessible with different scents that suit your needs. My personal favorites are the Rose and Vanilla and Charcoal and Magnesium. And for those who've been following me since day one, you know that switching over to a natural deodorant is something that I am super passionate about. Um, to learn more, visit them on Instagram at Schmidt's Naturals. And now back to the episode. I mean, at this point and where you're at, what does like, I feel like wellness is such a broad term, but what does it mean to you at this point? And like, how do you, like, what are you doing to kind of like take care of yourself? Yeah. I mean, wellness to me is balance, it's a quality of life. It's a desired quality of life. It's the understanding that not every day is going to be the best day, but if your good days outnumber your bad days, then that's okay. I think that there's this expectation within our culture that we're supposed to feel perfect all the time. Everything is supposed to feel good all the time. And that's what we strive for. Right, Yeah. like work is always supposed to be fun. You're always supposed to feel good. Friendships are always going to be great. Relationships shouldn't be hard. And I don't agree with that mentality because to me, feeling feeling better than I feel worse would be an acceptable level of wellness for me. Um, and I'm not quite there yet. But, you know, I think... I think, like, after I, after I left OCAD or while I was at OCAD, I had a mental breakdown. Like, I you would call it a mental breakdown, whether that's like the appropriate terminology or not. I just really lost control of like who I was and sort of this sense of reality. You just, when you're so tired, you just, you can't, you don't have the ability to like piece everything together. You, you genuinely It's not just, tired, it's exhaustion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's exhaustion <laughs> and you just lose it. And I, I was having this issue with something called depersonalization, which is this inability to connect yourself to what's happening around you and it was really terrifying because it was the first time that that's ever happened to me and you know you feel like you're losing your mind it that's the closest thing like I at the time like I mean this was almost 10 years ago now so the internet was a different place and these conversations were a little bit more taboo and I I didn't know who to talk to and I didn't know how to explain it to somebody without sounding like I was you know like losing it and I was terrified so I ended up seeing a psychiatrist and finding out that this was a derivative of, of anxiety, like a symptom, mm -hmm. and started being treated for, you know, anxiety and a, a mood disorder. And I guess, like, it was the best guess at what was going on. And um, from that point onwards, you know, that was kind of uh, as, like, the Muay Thai thing was starting. And... Ever since then, it's been this constant balance or battle between like, is this a mental illness? Is this a physical illness? Is this a structural issue with your brain? Is this something with the chemical aspect of your brain? Like, how do we figure out what the problem is here? And as time goes on, 
we've started to realize that it, it it's less about a mental illness and more about like there is something physically wrong with your brain because of what you've done to it mm-hmm. and like how do we fix it taking a few hits <laughs> taking a couple hits taking a couple hits so yeah wellness for me now is trying to improve my quality of life that's my only goal yeah I don't have any other goal you know like I'm not I'm not necessarily like happy with the way I look like I've had a really hard time losing weight I destroyed my entire system by doing exercise the way that I did you know like I lost my period and I lost like the ability for my metabolism to work properly all from physical exercise all from just the imbalance of like calories in calories out too much exercise too much strain on the body um but yeah now for me it's just like how can I wake up and feel as good as I can and what is as good as I can feel like how will I know when I've reached that yeah you know, and what can I do to improve the quality of my life and the quality of my work? And yeah, like it seems so simple when you say it like that. I think it's like an ever going process and an ever going like growth for people too, right? Because every day you have to approach it like you're taking care of yourself, right? And like, how are you doing that? And like what works for you and what doesn't work for you? And like, I always say like, what works for some people may not work for you. Like for instance, meditation, like, you know, if it works for you, like good for you, but um, it's really not the case for some people just because it, it takes, it takes a certain type of person to be able to get into it. For sure. You know? Um, yeah, no, I agree. So it's just always, it's also, tri- I'm going on a tangent now, but it's trial and error with a lot of things, mm-hmm. like with a certain diet, with a certain workout regime, or like even a routine, um, everything is trial and error. And like, I know it can get super frustrating, especially when you don't know what's going on. And when doctors kind of just look at you and they're like, they give you one answer and then you go to another doctor and you get another answer from that doctor. And you're kind of like, who the fuck do I listen to? Yeah. And like the only person you can listen to is yourself for sure and like you know I tried for a long time to self-diagnose whatever my issues were so I would like on WebMD yeah yeah (laughs) or like I would do like the whole 30 diet or I would do these elimination diets that were or like the wild rose cleanse I would do all these things and only after seeing a holistic doctor was he like this is so detrimental to you he's like you're eating all of the wrong things for you and it's just like we we think that we can fix everything ourselves, but we can't. Mm-hmm. And I think like seeking help and doing things properly, like everything is so available. You know, your friend tells your friend like tells you that they lost 30 pounds being paleo <laughs> and you try being paleo and your body is like revolting. I hate you. Yeah. Leave me alone. <laughs> Literally. And then you're like, oh, but like my friend did it. Like, it's going to work for me. And no, that's not... Fitness is a perfect example. About a year ago, I was told that I can't exercise mm-hmm. because my body just couldn't handle it. My I didn't have enough energy to do everything. And fitness was not the priority, like living was, you know, and getting work done and trying to heal. So I had to stop working out, which is so backwards because we think of, fitness as like this pinnacle of wellness 
And for somebody to tell me, like a former athlete, somebody who loves doing things that I couldn't was a challenge. And I was like, is this me being lazy? Like, am I, is this in my head? Like, is he wrong? And it's right. Like the way that we put our bodies through fitness and the mental aspect of knowing that we have to go to the gym, like it's a very, very stressful daily dilemma for a lot of people. And it kind of takes away the essence of being active Mm -hmm. when it becomes, when it becomes stressful for people and they get anxious about it. Like for me, I sweat because it's a relief system, Mm -hmm. but for some people it's not like that. So when I tell people, Oh, like I don't work out because I want to, I work out because I have to, they're like, what do you mean you have to? I'm like, well, I have to do it or I will be sick. And right. for me, it's like, it's not like an addiction at all by any means. Cause I don't work out that much or that intensely. But for me, it's kind of like, that's me taking care of myself where for other people, it would be like taking care of yourself is to slow the fuck down and like stop working out. Totally. Yeah. And you need somebody to tell you that. Like I could have never told myself that because the perception of like me not working out is laziness. Like even for me, I struggled with it being like, maybe they're wrong. You know, like maybe I can do it. Maybe this isn't real. And (laughs) they were right. (laughs) They were right. They were right. They were totally right. And yeah, it's true. I mean, like we were sort of touching on this earlier, but it's like the stress that we put on our body to maintain a certain level of wellness or a perceived level of wellness. It's like dieting, like dieting alone can be more impactful negatively on your body than just indulging or feeding the craving that you desire because withholding like our body needs these things for a reason you know like if you're craving sugar like I'm not saying that you should eat a cupcake every day but at some point something's got to give like you have to allow your body to have it because Otherwise, it's another type of strain. You know, it's an emotional strain. Like dieting is an emotional strain. The reason why diets don't work is because it's so mental, right? Yeah. It's like you're, you're, you're just telling yourself the entire time that you can't have something. And it's like a whole mental aspect to it. And that's why I don't believe in diets. And I'm more of like the cliche, but I'm more of like the lifestyle choices and totally. like the intuitive eating. And like also back to the sugar thing. If you're severely craving sugar, it has something to do with like your hormones and you're mm-hmm. missing something and you need to figure out why it is that you're always craving sugar. Maybe it's because you do always eat sugar and your body is kind of like, I need sugar because it is yeah. like they say it's as addictive as like cocaine. For sure. And like <laughs> not to bring this up because like I don't want to go on record saying this, but look at other uh, examples of restraint within our culture, you know, like sexual restraint mm-hmm. ends up becoming infidelity you know and not giving our body what it needs doesn't work well you know like we need to it's when someone says don't do something like you're gonna do it yeah like when we were kids and (laughs) they were like don't touch this or don't push the button like I pushed all the buttons in the elevator all the buttons (laughs) no it's so true and like you have to like that's why binge eating happens because people restraint 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 and then all of a sudden they just break like you know like the bridge breaks and they have to just go fucking crazy and like eat everything because you can't 
I don't know. Everything is just about balance. Like it can't be. And too then it far. goes back to like, well, what is balance? And balance looks different for every single person. Yeah, it does. And everybody knows their own limitations. Like I know that I can't have snacks in my house. So I don't, I don't have any. Some people can have like a bag of chips in their cupboard for six months. I and have not nothing. Eat them. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, like the most interesting thing you'll probably find would be like peanut butter. Like maybe, you know what I mean? Cause like yeah. everything else, like I just can't have it around me. So no, like, that's true. my way of controlling. And when I decide to eat something that might be like indulgent, mm-hmm. I'll intentionally bring it into my home and I'll eat it and then I'll remove it, yeah. you know? And like, that's my strategy, but everybody has a different strategy, you know? No, but it makes sense. So now that you haven't worked out in how long? I mean, not on, that you're counting, but on and off, yeah, 372 days <laughs> on and off. Like I've done this cycle of not working out, working out again, building myself back up, going through that extremely frustrating process, getting healthy again, getting fit again. And then all of a sudden everything coming crashing down. So I've done that cycle probably like four or five times. Like once a year, I convince myself that I can do it mm-hmm. and I don't have any internal self-control when it comes to fitness like there's no half like I'm doing it you're either doing it 100% and you're not yeah like I'm not good at like walking at a slow pace so I've yeah I've I've done that cycle over and over again and now now I'm scared like I'm at this point where I know that I feel better not working out than I did working out and when I get the okay to do 20 minutes of, you know, light cardio, I'm scared to do it because I don't want to end up backwards, you know? And now it's a mental thing. Before yeah. it was a physical thing and now it's a mental it's thing. It's going to be a slow process, obviously, baby steps. No one's asking you to do a Barry's class. Yeah. Oh my God, my nightmare. Also, I don't have $37. Um <laughs> But yeah, I started working with a trainer and we were who I trust and love. And I've known for the last, like, since everything started. And I, I knew that that was like the perfect person and it was too much and it wasn't a lot, but it was too much yeah. and my body just couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing now to kind of like keep yourself quote unquote well? Spending all of my money on <laughs> physiotherapy. Um <laughs> I mean, I'm still in, like, I care a lot about the food I buy. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not going to be able to, you know, to, to go to the gym and to use that as an outlet for wellness, the best I can do is control, like, what I'm eating. Like, not just in terms of not eating bad food, but, like, the the quality quality of the food and, like, buying meat and fish and proteins that I, like ethically believe in and that don't contain you know like hormones and steroids and antibiotics like I care a lot about that um I care a lot about like where I get my vegetables from I care a lot about a balanced diet I can't wait till the farmer's market starts I know it's like literally like two weeks away I think or like two or three weeks away and I'm just so excited yeah and grocery shopping for me is like it's something that I know that I have control over yeah so I put a lot of time and energy into that and I care a lot about it. So like in terms of how I take care of myself, like that's a huge one. Yeah. And the other one is just like not giving up on trying to improve the quality of my life. And it's not, 
it's taken me a long time to find like the right team of people that can help. And I think it's still um, like a sort of like a revolving door of like, okay, this worked for a bit and now it's not. And maybe we should try this. And yeah, it's a process. Like right now I just, you know, I see a chiropractor and I see a naturopath and we kind of just work in tandem to understand like what's working within my body through applied kinesiology and like muscle testing, what's working, what's not, how can we make it work? Like, how can we make small adjustments, you know? And a lot of these nagging injuries and a thing about concussions and head injuries that people don't talk about is the damage that it does to the muscles surrounding your neck and your head. And I've struggled a lot with like shoulder problems, neck problems, um, arm problems, pinched nerves. And the best thing that I can do is just be proactive because I spent so long not being proactive that yeah. now I'm just, if I notice a problem, I go and get it fixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want to make it because I don't think that you are, but we hear all these like terms of like people, like you have a chiropractor, you have a naturopath and it's very all like technical, but what are your thoughts on like people like biohacking? If you guys don't know what that means, um, (laughs) biohacking is when you kind of try to, I don't even know if I'm saying it properly. I'm going to say like try to outlive your predetermined lifespan. Yeah, (laughs) totally. No, that's what it is. And like, like this is kind of why I'm pretty clear with what I say about like, I just want to have the best quality of life that I can. I'm not trying to like supersede like my expectations and live the best life ever and like be the fastest and be the smartest. Like biohacking is optimizing your life in the best way you can using external sources, be it supplements, be it technology, be it um, like, you know, innovative healthcare strategies. And I just like, I know the energy that it takes for me right now to do this like very elementary and baseline level of healthcare. The thought of spending my whole life focusing on making my whole life longer and and longer I just imagine like looking up in five years being like but did I even live and that's what it (laughs) is it's true and that's what it is it's like you look at these people I'm fascinated with it because like I care about this stuff and I'm just interested in the human condition and the lengths that people will go through Literally, Um, that's what it is. It's what length will you go to? And it's like so fucked up. Totally. And like, you know, I read like Malcolm Gladwell's books and like books about like talent code and understanding like why certain people are better at certain things than other people. You know, Mm -hmm. like, is it our environment? Is it the food that we intake? Is it genetic? Is it hereditary? Like what what makes people better at certain things Mm -hmm. than other people? And, you know, I'm reading a book on endurance right now and it's it's about the four minute mile and it's like, do, why do, how do people run faster? Is it a physical thing? Is it a mental thing? Is it a competitive thing? Like what, how do we, how do we push ourselves past the limits that we thought that we had? And I don't know, like it's exhausting. 
it's exhausting at a very high level to try to optimize your life in that way. Yeah. I, I mean, think- I feel like so many people will, who like, are even just getting into wellness or are like already in it, whatever. There's always this moment that you kind of are like, wait, I need to slow down. Yeah. And that's when you realize like it's taken over your life. And for some people it takes a year, some people it takes two years, some people it even takes a month or like a week, but it's very, it's a, it's very easy to overdo it for sure. And, and like think, very quickly and not realize that you're overdoing it. And I think we have so many tools now that provide us with this high level of data that we try to self-analyze. And mm-hmm. it's like, we have so much information that I think we're becoming less intuitive to how our own bodies are reacting to things. So for example, like I, you know, I think through this journey, like chronically not feeling well has brought on this extreme hypochondriasis of wondering like, okay, like, do I not feel well because I'm tired? Do I not, do I not feel well because I have cancer? You know, like we don't know the answer to this question. Mm -hmm. So over the years, like I've really scared myself into thinking so many things because no one was telling me anything. Nobody had answers to why I didn't feel well. So I started collecting data and I have all these things now to look at the data, you know, it's like how, how fast is my heart beating? And what's my body temperature? What's my blood pressure? You know, like what time am I waking up? What's my, like all all of these little pieces of information, you know, and you have like smartwatches and you have all of these things that we try. What's my blood sugar? What's my pH balance? What are all of these things? Because no one was doing it for me. And I became stuck in this data loop of all of this information that was inconclusive. But in my mind, it had some sort of conclusion. Yeah. And I think that's the problem, you know, like, there's this whole Apple watch thing where in the States, like it's a, um, like an ECG, people are wearing these watches and it's tracking their heart rate. And then an alarm goes off when your heart rate's irregular. And like, do we need that? Like, do we, should we need that? Do we want that? Like, what about, you know, like intuitive behavior? Like, do we feel <laughs> yeah? like, do I have a fever or do I feel hot? Like, does me knowing my temperature, change the fact that I have a fever that I don't like, does this data make me feel safer Mm -hmm. and does more information make us feel better? So it's like this weird balance. And I feel like, you know, intuitive eating, intuitive, you know, like just like being within our body and understanding how it feels and relying less on like information and, I also love like taking it back to the simpler times, Yeah, you know, like even like when we look at wellness in like the seventies and eighties, like being pure on like a total different, like I don't have an Apple watch. I got rid of my Fitbit. I just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't need that. You don't, you didn't need it. I see. I mean, like, unless you're like training yeah. for some, I <laughs> yeah. don't know, like if you're training for like, for instance, like if you're a marathon runner, right? Like you you want to track your running. I get it. But like to really like track your steps and your calories. Like I think there's into. I think there should be like just be intuitive. Like listen to yourself. Yeah, it's dangerous. And I've been a calorie. Also, counter. I don't want that Bluetooth around yeah, me. Yeah. yeah, like I'm more of like get that fucking radiation out of my face. I don't want any of you. <laughs> I mean, I've been a calorie counter and like, that's the most relatable one because it, everyone I think now is realizing how detrimental that is to like our society. And I think, you know, we come from a place of privilege with the country that we live in and the knowledge that we have to know like what's mm-hmm. right and what's wrong. 
in terms of eating. But, you know, you go to America and you're standing in <laughs> uh, Starbucks and it's telling you the calories on your, you know, like almond milk latte or whatever it may be. And it's important. It's important information, but it's also triggering to a lot of people. A lot of people. And it's just another thing, you know, that we have in our minds. And yeah, like I recognize that we're really lucky to be from here and to have the awareness that we have. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I have a friend that was just in Guatemala and she's like, you know, everybody's just like living off the land and it's like you know, they only eat the crops that are in season and like, there's no grocery stores. And I'm like, all of this like vegan shit, like all of it, like this is nothing new. Like it just made its way to our metropolis. Or but seasonal eating is so important. Totally, And yeah. it's like, people have been eating like this for centuries and everybody's like, thinks they've found this like groundbreaking thing. I've discovered, thing. A, yeah, like I'm going to cure you of all of things. It's like meditation, like mm -hmm. meditation for centuries and centuries and centuries has been integrated into wellness. And now it's like, oh, well, there's like an app and then there's like a class. That's the thing. It's a fucking technology that I don't like. Technology is interfering with my well-being. Totally. In so many areas. See, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm saying this properly and I might stop myself like midway through the sentence, but I was listening to this uh, podcast about meditation and how it's unrealistic to expect people to be able to turn their brains off at this, at this day and age. It's, it's not even fair to ask of that. So how can we practice gratitude and compassion and forgiveness and, solitude and all of these things within the context of our lives and instead of meditation they were using the word like transcendence mm -hmm. so like how can you make these principles transcend into your life rather than this idea of just like shutting everything off and yeah. like segregating your mindfulness and then going back into your life and having it be fucking hectic yeah. like imagine you worked in an office and there's like phones ringing everywhere. Like, I don't even know if this is a real thing or like in the movies, but there's like phones ringing everywhere. And there's like mail cars and like people, people, people running around. And then you go into this room to meditate. <laughs> and you, mayhem and you, find your, you find your peace. And then you walk back out into the craziness. And it's like, you can't apply. Like you, things have to change. Like there has to be a shift, you yeah. know, like, like anything else, like, all of these practices are based on a completely different time. So it's like, how can we apply wellness, meditation, mindfulness, fitness into our day-to-day -day life? Yeah. You know, um, I think about it a lot because I think it's a really tall order to ask people to chill out. Like, <laughs> When someone says chill also out. Also telling someone to relax, like you're going to get the opposite effect. Yeah. yeah like yeah. me. Yeah, always. Yeah. Can you just relax? Like, no, I fucking can't relax. Yeah. Okay. My brain is moving <laughs> way too quickly. But it's true. Like, I don't know. That's why it's like, back to what you were saying, like, you have to do what works for you. Like, yeah. My friends, being a vegan does not work for me. Meditating yeah. does not work for me. I can go like, literally, I can give you a whole list of things that just don't work for me. And the people will be like, what do you mean? Like, that doesn't make sense. But what does work for you? Like, for example, like, I know that you said that for you, like, you need fitness. You I know? need fitness. Like, I, I like need fitness. I need 
to, I realized recently, like I need to have a slower morning. Yeah. Or like, yeah, I, because I have so many things that I do in the morning, like well in it, like with space, like I, everything needs to be like more mindful. I need to take more time in the morning and then I can't do work past a certain time, you know, yeah. like, like actual like work. I can't work past a certain time because like I'm a morning person. So like I wake up super early, like I'm up naturally at like six, yeah. which people are like, you're insane. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm up when the birds are up and that's when you're supposed to be up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, I'm on like an actual moon cycle. So like I wake up when the sun wakes up and like I go to bed when the sun goes to bed. Like that's just me. Um, for me, it's not limiting myself and not limiting my diet. Mm-hmm. And um, I always say like water. Yeah. <laughs> like water for me is like my be all end all, which it should be for everyone else too. Like yeah. you don't understand the effects that water has on your body. I don't drink enough water. Yeah, you probably don't. Imagine that was the issue <laughs> all along. But you like, wouldn't- oh, it's your cervical spine. Oh no. Oh, wait. Maybe you're just dehydrated. It could be. <laughs> like, I I think that in order to even realize that you would need to be drinking three liters a day for at least 45 days to see how you feel. Oh, my God. And the first week, you'd be pissing everywhere, and you'd feel so goddamn bloated. And then by week two, you'd feel like a butterfly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want to feel like a butterfly. Yeah. Right. Everyone wants to feel like a butterfly. Oh. Not a caterpillar, a butterfly. Yeah, seriously. Um, I need to... It's just like one of those things that I don't do. Like, you know how there's things that people tell you to do? You're like, if I do like 85% of what I think I'm supposed to do and then 15% kind of like I let slide, to me, water falls in the 15%. Because intuitively, I do not think about it. I'm not thirsty. I don't feel dehydrated. I mean, that doesn't mean that I'm right because I'm not. It's just like, I don't think about it. Like, you know how those people who forget to eat, it's like they don't eat until 6 (laughs) p.m.? And I don't understand that. <laughs> the founder of Twitter. Did you read that? Oh, yeah. Like, He's on a 22-hour fast. Is so he? he only eats four times a week. He only eats Monday yeah. to Thursday, and he only eats at 6 o'clock. His, his like, I listened to this whole thing about him. Maybe we listened to the same thing. Yeah. His ritual is really fascinating. Like, he walks five miles to and from work every day, which is kind of a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a lot. And... He doesn't eat until he gets home and his like feeding window is sort of whatever he wants, but like within reason, like he still keeps it relatively like, I think he said he keeps it like relatively paleo. Yeah. Um, and he does, he really focuses on mindfulness. So I think he did like a Vipassana, like, you know, those silent meditation Yeah, retreats? he did do that. Yeah. So he does that every day still. So he'll do like an hour of meditation in the morning. And I think an hour in the evening too. Like that's a lot. Can you imagine like living with that person? No, (laughs) no. And you'd have an empty fridge. You would have no speaking at all. There would be no speaking, an empty fridge. Like no one just tweet each other. It's not for me. Well, that's what Ben Greenfield, when he was interviewing him was basically like, Ugh, those two together is probably an, I yeah can't, that's it, yeah. not my brand <laughs> if you know me you know that the two of them in a room is not my brand <laughs> he was basically like you live alone right and jack was like yes because ben was like there's no way that you could do this with anybody else and he was like yeah i know because you can't like it, you know all of these principles of wellness within reason like it, unless you're treating something that 
is more severe and outside of like what we're talking about you have to be able to adapt into your lifestyle like Mm -hmm. you can't your whole life can't be like like i said like i i don't feel good most of the time and i still accept this baseline of not feeling good in order to maintain some integrity within my life Mm -hmm. you know like sometimes like maybe it just is how it is yeah and i don't want to give my whole life away to to trying to feel better because i don't know you don't even know if that's going to happen like we don't know if any of these things work we're still figuring it out and that's what scares me about you know all of these like wellness trends it's like people are doing things and we don't know the outcome yeah we don't know the outcome we don't know the repercussions like everything is just you know the carnivore diet's a good example it's like jordan and michaela peterson are talking about only eating meat forever and michaela has been through like rheumatoid arthritis and a lot of like serious serious health issues but if you look on paper and i'm not an expert on this like there's a reason why cutting out every food but meat works for her because like any like that would work for that would work for anybody like you cut out elements of inflammation variables that come with all sorts of foods, pesticides, what's on them, where they were grown, how they impact your body, how you're feeling that day. And you just focus on one thing. It's so much easier to control. So that thing could have been eggs. It didn't have to be red meat. It could have been anything. It could have been potatoes. Yeah. It's I love just, potatoes. I love <laughs> potatoes. And potatoes are good for you. Yeah. Potatoes yeah. are great for you. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm just like, it, it's dangerous it's dangerous to be telling people that the carnivore diet headline, like carnivore diet works. Yeah. And it's like, people need to be making their own decisions too. No, you can't, you can't be putting people in that position. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go eat steak every day for the rest of my life. One that's expensive and two, it probably isn't good for everyone's blood. Yeah. Or the environment. Yeah. Like, cows are like the number one. Like if there was anything to cut out out of like a carnivorous diet, it would be meat, red meat, red meat. And yeah. to encourage that alone is like against what I mean, I love red meat and I love steak, but yeah, in moderation, in moderation. OK, so sorry. On that note, that's all the time we have for today. <laughs> I wish we had more time. <laughs> But um, you guys can follow Jackie at, what's your Instagram? Jack Beal, J-A-C-B-E-A-L-E. She takes great photos, great fitness photos. Oh, thank you. No problem. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) Website coming soon. (laughs) Link in bio. Yeah, link in bio as always. So um, yeah, we'll see you guys next time.